Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. I am Patrick D. McCoy, the African American voice in classical music. We have an exciting broadcast in store for you today. Our special guest is a person who is very dear to the hearts of her native D.C. family and fans around the world. From Galveston Street to concert halls and opera houses across the globe, she continues to garner unparalleled superlatives for her luminous voice and artistry. The person I speak of is none other than the internationally acclaimed opera superstar, Ms. Denise Graves. Good morning, Ms. Graves. Good morning. I'm here, Mr. McCoy. How are you? I am well. Thank you so much. It is an honor to share this time with you this morning. Well, I'm pleased to be here. I've uh, been looking forward to this event for a while, so I'm pleased to be a part Thank of it. You Thank you so you much. Thank you so much. Tell me, so how does Denise Gray start her day? <laughs> it usually starts <laughs> at about 4.30 a.m. every day. Uh, my husband um, is a transplant surgeon, and he has to leave quite early to get to the hospital. So when he's up, that's my moment to go downstairs and get on the treadmill before uh, having to wake up my daughter at about 6 o'clock to get her ready for school because she has to be at school at, um, at 8 o'clock. And it takes a lot of time. Getting, getting, her, getting her up at 6 o'clock means that she actually starts to move at 6.35. And then, you know, it's making breakfast and doing all of those things. And I, and I enjoy doing that. And then once I get back from doing that, I, I usually have a rehearsal of some sort, uh, you know, as I prepare for the engagements that are in front of me. And um, and then running errands, depending on what's going on in, uh, you know, in the calendar that day, because I, I have one of these calendars that no two days are the same. So... Every day something different is going on. And right now I really have my mind focused on this uh, concert that I have coming up at the Kennedy Center on February 1st. So my attention is sort of uh, turned in that direction. Even though I leave town tomorrow and go to Florida for a few days and then I'm back, my daughter has a piano recital and then I'm off to Korea and then I'm back two or three days before that concert. So my time is now to focus on the concert. Wow, we're going to talk about that special uh, concert a little bit later. But just um, as I as I have observed the trends of your career, I can't help but notice not only your musical presence, but also your stature in terms of your place uh, historically in our in our nation's history. I want to take us back to Easter Sunday, April twelfth of two thousand nine, and what that day meant to you as you sing for the 70th anniversary of the historic concert that was performed by Marian Anderson on the Lincoln Memorial. Could you maybe yeah. explain to the listeners how you felt? Oh, I'm not sure that one can actually put into words how I really felt. Um, I, I'm going to say probably the words that you expect to hear, and that is that it was a great um, honor, and I was so... And consider myself so privileged to have been the choice um, for this wonderful historic occasion. But oftentimes during my career, I hearken back to the life experiences and that particular concept of Marian Anderson. I remember um, just after 9-11 here um, in the United States, 
I was asked to sing um, at the Washington National Cathedral um, for Washington's or response uh, for the, the the prayer service of, of healing for the nation. And I didn't really understand at the time that I was asked the magnitude of what that um, my performance or my participation in that would turn would later turn out to be. But as I stood there and I looked out into the sea of um, faces in the National Cathedral, I remember looking and thinking, that looks like President Ford. Is that President Ford? And then I saw next to him, I said, that looks like President Carter. Is that Carter? And then I saw President Bill Clinton and President George Bush. And I had not realized that. I mean, I didn't really know what that, uh, what my participation would be. And at that moment that I recognized those presidents, I turned my mind to that Easter Sunday of Marian Anderson. I said, Denise, just think what Marian Anderson must have felt like, you know, when she had to see in that sea uh, of people during that very historic moment. And I turned my attention to her. And in that moment, and I thought, she got through that, so you can get through this. Um, but to have been a part of it was a tremendous honor because Marian Anderson, I remember learning about Marian Anderson when I was in the fourth grade. I was at W.B. Patterson um, Elementary School, and I was in Miss Hamer's class. And during that time, it was um, in the month of February, and it was Black History Week before it became a month. And I remember learning about the life of Marian Anderson when I was in the fourth grade and just being fascinated by who she was and having no idea how my life would later take shape and how integral she would become a part of my, such a huge part of my life experience. Um, certainly, my musical experience, and uh, and I and I remember that moment. I remember the day that we learned about her, and I just remember the feeling of pride that I had, just as um, an African American child. You know, when the whole class studied about Marian Anderson, I just remember just feeling so proud and so excited to learn about this great woman. And um, little did I know at that time how, how much of an impact that moment and later the woman herself and that career would uh, have in my life. That is certainly a blessing. I was actually honored to be at that performance uh, at the Lincoln Memorial. I was there with Mame Holt, the mother of the late Ben Holt, that we actually had a chance to greet you, so that oh. was a high honor. Mm-hmm. Mhm, and I, I remember that you wore well. a gown. Mhm, mhm. Oh my goodness! I recall yes, that, that you was, wore a uh, gown that was especially given to you by uh, Miss Anderson. How did that special relationship come about? Some years ago, in the early '90s, I was the recipient of the Marian Anderson Award. There are quite a few Marian Anderson Awards, but this was the one that's actually given um, it, it, at that time in her home of Danbury, Connecticut. Um, and I had given a recital at the Charles Ives Center, and Miss Anderson was there. But before meeting her there, no, 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 I guess I did meet her there. No, it isn't true. Before meeting her there, um, I was invited to her home in Danbury, Connecticut, and I came with my mother, and uh, that was an enormous uh 
you know, that was one of these days that will be etched, you know, in my in my memory and will remain sort of in my foundation in a bedrock uh, for for as long as I you know continue to live um i remember going to her her home and i was very and when we arrived uh, her nurse answered the door and i was very nervous so i asked for the ladies room and i i remember as i was walking out and by that time she was quite fragile um, I'm not quite sure how old she was, but she was in her 90s at that point, or, or late 80s. And um, I remember as I was leaving the bathroom, I uh, could hear the clicking of a walker behind me. And then I heard this voice say, Are you Denise Graves? Which was one of the one of those voices that makes you shake, you know, with the re- the resonance that was in that sound. And and in that moment, in that very instant, I said to myself, "We were supposed to know of this woman. We were supposed to know of her. Music was just her vehicle. I, I'm sure that had she not been a singer, we would have known her in another capacity because she had such command in her presence, even as a frail." you know, 90-year-old woman walking with her walker. She had one of these voices that, you know, you'd hear in, uh, in a room full of people and everybody would turn to see who was speaking. Or um, There was something in her being that commanded your attention. And, um, and I felt that in that moment, in that moment, I remember thinking, what a great woman. And I hadn't even yet turned around to take in her face. <laughs> Um, I just remember being stunned in my steps as I heard her voice from behind and just thinking what a mighty woman she was, um, even though the body was quite contrary to the strength of her being. Um, And so at that time, we had a wonderful time chit-chatting, and she didn't want to discuss at all uh, the career, really, she didn't want to discuss these moments that we're talking about now, the famous Easter Sunday concert. <laughs> she didn't want to talk about those things. She really wanted to. I guess she had had enough interviews and her life had become defined by those moments and that isn't where she was at that time. What she really wanted to discuss was um, how I was feeling about the business and how things were going in my life and also her the work that she was doing with the Salvation Army and working with children. And that's what she was really passionate about um, at that time. And we spent the day together, and it was fantastic. And um, as I left, she said that she wanted to offer something to me. And, in fact, she let me into her wardrobe and let me choose which gown it is that I that I wanted to have, which, you know, was just an amazing, you know, I, I I come from the world of opera where oftentimes in the theater when you're doing a production, you can see the names in the costumes of some of the great singers that have gone on before you. You know, oftentimes if I'm singing something at the Met, I'll see inside, you know, Horn from Marilyn Horn or, or you know, or, or Verrett, God rest her soul, we just lost the great, great Shirley Verrett. And um, I remember looking at her gown, and her name, her, na- her name was in the gown. It was a Car- it is a Karinska gown, and it had the name Anderson inside of it. And so I I made the choice, the choice that you saw, the choice that I sang the concert in. And um, I've just been so grateful to her. And then she gave me a piece of advice. She said, 
uh, be careful with your gowns that you don't store them in plastic because that will ruin them, leave them out of the plastic. And we had a wonderful time just as women, as girls, as uh, human beings, as artists, sharing that day. And she, she fell in love with my mother. And I said to her, Miss Anderson, I'd love to come back oh, to see you. Oh, I just wanted to uh, recount something that I'd forgotten. When I arrived at her home in Danbury, Connecticut, at the farm, her nursemaid opened the door and she said, oh, you just missed Kathy Battle. I guess Kathleen Battle Ooh. had come down to visit Marian Anderson. And I remembered that um, some years ago, back in early 2000, 2002, we'd done a tribute concert to the life of Marian Anderson. It was myself and Jesse Norman and Sylvia McNair, who was also a winner the, the year before I won the Marian Anderson Award. And I remember Kathy Battle sent a telegram to all of us um, saying how sorry she was that she couldn't be at the event um, and how how much she treasured Marian Anderson. So I know that oftentimes we hear different stories about Kathleen Battle, but I was happy um, I'm, and am happy to share that story with you. So uh, that's just a little bit that I had forgotten about it. I wanted to um, include in, in the recounting of my story. And so after we visited that day, I asked her if I could come and see her again, and she said, only if you bring your mother, because <laughs> she mm. fell in love with my mother and chatting with her mother. And then I met her uh, for the second time at the Charles Ives Center. Um, I was not wearing the gown at that time uh, for a concert in celebration of my winning the Marian Anderson Award. And then I visited her another time uh, after that. And then shortly after that, she went to go live with her nephew, Maestro James DePriest, out in uh, Portland, Oregon. And then and then sometime afterwards, she uh, crossed over to the other side. Mm, that is quite quite a moving, moving experience. This is just so wonderful. Many great singers, uh, such as Marian Anderson, had their humble musical beginnings in the church. And I would like to know if you could possibly discuss the role of the African-American church and how it played a role in your development as a singer. Some years ago, I did a project called Church. You can probably find it online or maybe at Amazon or something like that. It was a, pro a project I did called Church. I was in New York having lunch with a friend of mine, um, Gene Shear, who's a wonderful composer, by the way, a magnificent lyricist and, 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 and singer and artist, all-around artist. And um, we were having lunch, and we were speaking about, in general, um, African-American opera singers. And he was saying, you know, Kathleen Battles got her start in the church, and Landine Price, and Jesse Norman. And I said, well, I'm sure not just opera singers. I'm sure that if you span, uh, you know, all the different genres of African-American men and women, you would find that many of them got their roots, you know, in the church. And so... I decided to do this prog um, this project called Church, where we would take women from all sorts of different disciplines, from Broadway, from um, R&B, from gospel, from classical music, and all of these women who got their starts in the church um, on this CD and DVD talking about their experiences growing up in the church and how the church informed their music making and about how we all sort of came from the same root but went into um, different disciplines. But to answer the question more specifically, um, absolutely the African-American, and for, for me, 
Um, the African American church was my very first, if I can call it, uh, audience. Uh, it was my very first experience uh, singing in front of people. I remember it very well. I'm here next to my brother. My my family had a, and I know you've been working with Andre Graves uh, uh, on this, uh, on, on on our speaking today, and and he's my brother. And our family had a singing group called the Inspirational Children of God, and and we used to sing uh, gospel music in church on Sunday morning. And my brother was the one who sang all of the solos, in fact, and, and, and still, my brother and sister, I'm one of three. My brother and sister both have beautiful voices, and uh, my brother, though, um, as you may have noticed, has a gorgeous speaking voice and has a beautiful singing voice, too, and I've always said that had he the interest or the ambition, I think he could have made a very important career um, in music if that was something that he felt led to do. But anyway, he sang all of the solos in our little family uh, group. And there was one Sunday morning that he was sick. I think he was legitimately sick. I don't think he faked it, but who knows. Um, where, he, you know, he said, I, I'm sick, I can't sing. And my mother said, well, you know, Denise, you, you have to sing. And I said, I, I you know, I cannot possibly do that. And I I was probably, out of my, my brother and sister, the one who was the most socially uncomfortable, which is interesting how I've sort of played out my life as I healed that part of my myself. But I was the one who was always, you know, clutching behind my mother's skirt and the one who was very, very much uh, isolated and on my own all the time. And, and you know how it is in the church. If you're called in front of the church, nobody wants to hear anything about it. Neither is that tolerated or accepted for five seconds that you can't sing or you, you know, you don't feel what, you know, you're standing up there in front of everybody and you have no choice, you know. <laughs> so there was no choice and I and I had to sing and, uh, you know, my poor mother had no idea what in the world she was creating in that moment. But uh, uh, it became my very first audience and uh, and was an opening of uh, a new avenue for me. Um, and I would say certainly everything that I feel musically and that I understand in my emotional body um, has its roots in the church without a doubt in terms of uh, musicality, uh, my understanding of uh, the music, my being able to communicate and connect um, with the words and to be able to tell a story. Absolutely, that came directly from, it directly came from the church. Um it informed me more than anything else did musically and became the foundation from which I would continue to draw from uh, to this day. So it, it made a big difference in my being able to do what it is that I do today. And I, and I have said many times, and I did in the church project, that I find it no surprise that the African-American woman find herself on the operatic stage or on the Broadway theater or in a recording studio or any of those wonderful places where they give you sort of um, a mouthpiece to be able to express yourself musically because um, it was an absolute natural progression from the church. That is truly a wonderful um, example. I've had the privilege to talk to so many singers and to hear you affirm 
the, the place of, of the church and the role of training great singers is, is truly humbling. Um, I'll, you you know, I, uh, when book. I was a student at Oberlin College doing my undergraduate work, I gave a recital once at Oberlin College. I was trying to raise money to go study in Austria for the summer with my voice teacher. And I was doing these concerts on my own, and um, there was this older black man who came to uh, the recital, and he came up to me and he said, young woman, I noticed that you didn't program any spirituals or gospel music on your recital. And I said, no, sir, I didn't. You know, this is the material that I'm learning, and I'm being taught in the conservatory and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he said to me, if we don't sing this music, who will? And I don't know who he was, but I have thought of him ever since that day. And whenever I'm doing a concert or whatever it is that I involve myself in, particularly with recital, as I do lots of recitals, I always program, um, you know, spirituals in or or art songs by African-American composers. And I think of that man every time. And so, yes, it's uh, I am where I am today because, you know, and even though, you know, we hated my mother at the time for making us go to church all the time and because we were we were truly, you know, we were in church seven days a week and, and all day on Sunday, you know, and we wanted to, you know, be out with our friends and do other things. Um, even though at the time we never wanted to do, uh, we never wanted to do that. I, we wanted to be, you know, somewhere else and, you know, not being in the church, hanging out with our friends. Um, it was one of the many great gifts that she gave to me. And it gives me and has given me the life uh, that I have today. That is that is wonderful. It's truly a blessing. Now I want to kind of go back to something we sort of touched on because you mentioned a couple of names like Kathleen Babble and Leotine Price. I just would like to know, perhaps for the listeners, if you could share uh, some of the great voices that perhaps have served as inspirations for you um, on your journey in becoming an opera singer. Well, that's Leontine Price, without a doubt. I mean, it's mm. Leontine. Leontine Price, Leontine Price. Um, I was a student at uh, Performing Arts High School here in Washington, D.C., the Duke Ellington School, and I remember this very, very clearly. Um, um, I was late for class one day, and I ran into a girlfriend in the hallway, and she said, Denise, I just heard something in the in the listening library. you got to come. And I said, I can't, Cassandra, I cannot listen to that right now. I'm late for class. She said, no, 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 you have to listen to this. So we went into the library, and she'd found a recording of Lantine Price singing Puccini R.S. We went into that listening room, and we cut out all of our classes for the rest of that day. We didn't go to the bathroom. We didn't eat. We didn't do any. We stayed in that listening library and pray, and listened to Price sing over, and after it was finished, play it again. After it was finished, play it again, play it again over and over until the janitor came and knocked on the door when they were closing the school and said, you girls have got to leave. And at that moment, I I felt like I found my purpose. I felt like this is exactly what I was born to do. Now, I didn't know if I'd be able to do it, but it felt so true at the bottom of my soul, like that was what I was supposed to be doing. And you know, I've got maybe I can try to find this. I've um and since that time I have expressed many times to Miss Price um uh what an influence she has had on me and she called me uh 
at Christmas time this past Christmas and left me a beautiful message. I wonder if she would be angry if I played the message. I've got it on my cell phone. Anyway, Mm. there... um, I don't know. She's a pretty private woman. Anyway, she called me at Christmas and... um, and uh, just to extend her thoughts and best wishes for the new year. And she uh, is certainly at the top of my list. I mean, she is the figure and the artist and the voice that drew me in this direction, uh, without a doubt, because I always say, you know, she sings and you see the face of God because I just... I've never heard anything was sung with such exquisite beauty. I didn't know what opera was or I never, you know, classical music was not what was being played in the household that I grew up in. I knew nothing about that. I was completely foreign to that and yet I heard it and immediately it immediately spoke to me. It immediately touched me. It immediately moved me. It immediately shook me and all of those happenings together, you know, stunned me enough to say, this is what I feel like I'd like to do in my life. And then after that, of course, after my, I guess, that appetite was wet, I began to discover, of course, many other great African-American singers and, and other many other type of wonderful opera singers all across the globe. So, um I'm so grateful to her and for all that she, you know, has gone through in her life because she went through quite a lot, as did Marian Anderson, who really, you know, trailblazed the path. But Leontine Price quite differently because Marian Anderson was not allowed to be an opera singer. It wasn't until actually, you know, actually the twilight of her career that she was, you know, the first African-American to sing at the Metropolitan Opera. But Leontine Price was the Metropolitan Opera's reigning, you know, diva. Uh, mm. And who all kinds of unbelievable scrutiny and criticism and harassment. And, and still she sang with such beauty, with such luminosity with such understanding you know there was such an emotional connection i one of those singers that you don't have to understand what it is she's singing about you know at all because it reaches you because what she is communicating goes past language and um so it was certainly Leontine price and then i'm an enormous kathy battle fan enormous kathy battle fan because um, I just think that she sings with such beauty and such um, delicateness. I've always been a fan of her musicianship and uh, and remain so to this day. And also a lot of wonderful singers that you may or may not know of. You know, I'm, uh, I'm still learning. I'm still studying. You know, I still get frustrated. I'm still trying to figure this thing out. And, uh, you know, I'm still growing, and I'm still surprised all the time by my instrument and what it can do and and, and how it also has a mind of its own. <laughs> and it does indeed. It does indeed, uh, you know. And uh, a lot of the times it's just about me, I guess, getting out of the way and allowing my voice to sing itself. Mm. You know, Leotine Price is perhaps one of the last living opera legends legends that we have, and I would just love to see her really, truly honored in some 
grand fashion, you know, by all of the opera singers in the, in the setting because she truly is a magnificent uh, person, and everything that you spoke to is so true. Yeah, it's it's true. Uh, two years ago, she was the, for one of the first recipients of the National Endowment of the Arts here in Washington D.C. awards. Um, but there aren't enough, you know, awards or accolades that we can give this very, very great woman um, because she's really sort of the godmother uh, as far as opera is concerned, in my mind. Um, who has just made us all so proud and made us want to aspire to be like, you know. A great, great artist. I mean, truly a mighty artist, not in a class all her own. Hello? Hello? Hello, Miss Graves? I'm still here. Okay. Okay, so that we, we lost the connection there. Just um, just moving forward, in terms of repertoire, what new music or uh, what are you uh, working on currently in terms of literature or things that you hope to pursue? Oh, so many things, um, so many things. There's a film which has been tossed around for a little bit now about me portraying the life of Marian Anderson. So we have got just keep your fingers crossed and keep, you know, lifting up the prayers uh, for that. Uh, and so we, we certainly hope that that comes to fruition for sure. Uh, I've got this calendar year uh, bunches of concerts. I mean, it's, we, we start now on February 1st with uh, this, uh, not really a reenactment, but a celebration that the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. is doing to the life of President John F. Kennedy. And Grace Bunbury did a concert at the White House back in 62, and they're having me um, do a concert. They're doing 13 days at the Kennedy Center in celebration of President John F. Kennedy. And um, I'm doing a concert on February 1st in this honor uh, of President Kennedy singing the concert that Grace Bunbury sang uh, so many years ago uh, for the first half and then the second half it will be more Denise Graves and then a concert with James Madison University and uh, then Baton Rouge Symphony and uh, lots of concerts throughout uh, mostly concerts and recitals throughout the calendar year until the fall when I sing again the role of Azucena in Provatore um, in North Carolina and then ending up in uh, Europe for uh, the end of the year. Um, but in addition to this calendar year, there are lots of projects that you know I'm, I'm personally working on. I'm still slowly writing my memories. Uh, there has there was a book completed about my life, but um, actually since the writing of that book, so much more has happened in my life has become far more interesting than. Um, <laughs> Then we, you know, we let it just keeps unfolding, and every time that there's a new uh, occurrence, the author, uh, that that author of that book, writes me and says, "I think we're going to have to start all over again, Denise." You know, so still quietly um, working on that project, working on a recording project um, that I'm hoping to finish at some time this year with the uh, in the Zagreb Philharmonic. And uh, and voila, and being a wife and a mother and, uh, you know, trying to, trying <laughs> to keep myself as centered and my feet on the ground and my heart open uh, 
to receive uh, uh, the abundance and asking daily to be an instrument of the love of God. And so uh, that's where I am. I've got a whole lot of stuff going on, have a lot of balls in the air, but happy uh, to be working, happy to be performing, particularly in these uh, tough economic times. And uh, happy to be there and doing the thing that uh, turns me on like nothing else. That is wonderful. Now, will Grace Bumbery actually be in attendance at that particular recital? Oh, I don't know. She's aware of it because last year she was a recipient of the Kennedy Center Honors, and and I went to uh, uh, well, was a part. Actually, I'm on the committee, and um, and so I was a part of the entire weekend and spent some time with Grace Bumbery, and we spoke about that, and I and I and I asked her specifically which pieces were her favorite and what she thought about it and how difficult it was and why she made the choices that she made. And she is aware of the concert, but she she lives in Europe, and so. I don't know that she'll be in attendance, but um, I'm happy you said that because maybe I'll just send out, I'll just reach out and um, extend that um, invitation. Well, I really hope so because she she truly deserves to be there and have a person uh, of your musical stature to pay tribute to her. It's such a magnificent honor. Uh, another honor that I personally had was to be in the audience when you um, sang. Uh, in the birthday tribute for the late Senator Edward Kennedy. And I wanted to ask you, what was it like being on the stage beside Barack, President Barack Obama as he led the singing of Happy Birthday? Wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? <laughs> so great. I said to him, don't choose a high key, you know. Start it low. <laughs> um, well, I was thrilled. I've been an enormous supporter of President Barack Obama since uh, I heard about him back in 2000. Before he spoke at the Democratic National um, Convention, I'd heard him speak in Chicago, and I called my best girlfriend who lives in Zurich, and I called her and I said, you know, I just heard this man speak. I said, he has a name which was kind of unusual. I said, but hearing him speak must have been what it was like to have heard Martin Luther King. And I said to her, and these were my words verbatim, I said, he could be like the president or something. And... um, (laughs) Years later, when he uh, spoke at the DNC, I called him and I said, I just heard this man that I was telling you about that I heard who I found so dynamic and just so intelligent and so wise and, you know, just so spot on. And and, and there we have him now. So I have been a huge uh, supporter from the very, very beginning. I'm so proud of him. You know, every time I see him and his family and every time I see them, I'm just so, so proud and just bursting my heart just explodes in appreciation and gratitude for who he is, all that he is, and what he brings to the entire world. And um, it's such a wonderful feeling as an African-American person to have these great leaders out there because so often... As you know, in so much of our childhood, we had so many different images splattered in front of us, you know, all the time that were, uh, you know, negative. And it's so gratifying. I just can sigh and really exhale and say, throw my hands up towards the heavens and say, thank you for sending us this magnificent servant who uses his life so beautifully and on such an 
an enormous arena for the entire world to marvel at. And, you know, he walked into a very, very complicated um, situation that is certainly not easy. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that, you know, those who seek the office, first of all, God bless them, because who would seek it? Because it's just uh, such a such an enormous responsibility. But I'm sure that once you actually walk into the office and have a few days on the job, it's very, very, very different from what anyone could have imagined. And um, and so I continually, uh, you know, pray for him, and for his family, and uh, for all that he has to face and that he is surrounded with people who support and care for him and allow him to be who he is and to use his intellect in the way um, that got him to be, you know, the President of the United States. So so I'm saying all of that to say I was thrilled, tickled to bits to be next to him. So excited. In fact, they said to me, you know, the Secret Service came and... And they gave us, you know, the right protocol. And they said, no, please don't touch the president. When he came, I jumped on him. You know, I, I I threw my arms around him. I said, I love you so much. I'm just so proud of you. And, you know, he received that. And uh, and I am. So for me, that moment is singing for um, the late Senator Ted Kennedy's birthday celebration at the Kennedy Center in addition to the great honor of that and having my mom and my daughter next to me, you know, my two bookends, my pillars, and my husband as well, um, be there to witness that event was tremendous. Tremendous. I, in fact, I've got a photograph of it on my piano, so I loved it. That is beautiful, beautiful. Jeff, in closing, I want to say thank you so much for joining me on this broadcast. You have been such a, a voice of an enlightenment for all of us who who strive to be um, at the level of excellence that you are in music. So I, I send that from the bottom of my heart as a musician one to another. And just in closing, I would like to know if you could offer a piece of advice to all of the young aspiring singers out here who are on a plight uh, to becoming you know, an opera singer but get discouraged. Yeah, it's certainly the process of, you know, that path of becoming is one of a great test. And uh, and uh, those trials don't stop. I remember when I met uh, with Lantine Price in her home once some years back. She said, Miss Gray, you know, she has a southern accent. She says, come on in, Miss Denise. And she said, you see all these plaques and all these awards that I have on my wall I call this my trials and tribulations room. And uh, I just had such great appreciation for that because, uh, uh, yeah, it's a challenging road. However, I can think of nothing more beautiful than to live your life making music and bringing beauty into the lives and into the world that's so desperately needs it. So what I would say to young people, and I'm often asked this question, is um, to first of all find a really good voice builder 
someone that they trust, and to surround themselves with as much music as possible, and all kinds of music, not just classical music, I would say, all kinds of music, and use that time to train your ears, train your your your, your mind, to condition your heart, see what feels like you, um, to keep yourself and to keep your foothold and your foundation in music because it's important to be reminded as you are on this path of why we're doing this in the first place because it's an honor to be able to do it. It really is because I know, I mean, how many people have you met that say, oh, gosh, if I could sing, I would love to be able to sing. I, I hear that all the time. So mm. to be able to have the gift to do it, in addition to that, to have the seed planted in your soul that has the the desire in it to make the music is so important. So know that it's a privilege to be able to do that and sing for whomever will listen. You know, I, I say so often that I would do this were people listening or or not, and it's true. I mean, I would do it for my own pleasure. Yesterday I had a wonderful rehearsal, and I was just so happy and so uh, elated after that rehearsal, and I was coming home, and I called my husband, and I said, I'm so happy I just had the most wonderful rehearsal, and there's nothing in the world for me that can compare to that. So I would say to keep, hold on to the joy, the reason why, it is that you're singing. And I say, that's why I say surround yourself in music because there's there are many things that one has to do. You have to continue to study. Um, for singers, I would say learn and study the piano. It's going to help you so much throughout the whole of your career or some other instrument. Learn to make music differently than just through the voice because the voice has its limitations. You can't sing all day long. You know, you really can't as much as you might like to. So learn to make music differently. Go to concerts. Uh, listen to CDs. And listen to everybody, you know. Um, and try. Try. I know that for a lot of young singers, we're taught to be so judgmental, so critical, and to examine every single note that we sing. But to try to listen with just an open mind uh, and, and an open heart. And just see what you feel. Watch yourself. Watch your emotions. See what they tell you about who you are. Learn to develop a relationship with your own inner voice because so many times you're going to have to rely on that. You know, there are going to be people and lots of uh, personalities in your life that say, oh, no, I think you should do this and I think you should do that. And while all of that can be valid, I would say um, listen to your own inner voice and that relationship that you can develop starts now, starts today, starts this second. Be quiet enough to listen to your own guidance and trust and know that it's there because it is your divine birthright and it will it it's there for everyone. So keep the love for music. Surround yourself in music. Continue to study. Study a different instrument also along with the voice. Go to concerts. Um, and keep working hard. Keep working hard. You know, there was a wonderful uh, phrase that Marian Anderson said once about um, singers. I wonder if I could find that. There was a, a beautiful quote. She says, 
We believe that everyone has a gift for something, even if it is the gift of being a good friend. Young people should try and set a goal for themselves and see that everything they do has some relation to the ultimate attainment of that goal. The degree with which they lend themselves to it shows the metal of which they are made. So know that the the path will not be an easy one, but were it easy, everybody would be doing it, right? Mm. Hang in there, stay in there, and keep a hold of your love and your joy for singing. This is the most important thing. Also, I'd just like to tell everybody to visit um, www.denisegraves.com. And to they could there they can find out the my my fall schedule what's in front of us for this year. There's new video footage coming soon. They can sign up for the newsletter, um, and send me a note and uh, let me know what's on their mind. And I do appreciate those things, and I do answer them myself. Um, and so, uh, voila, that's what I'd like to say. Thank you so much, Ms. Graves. Again, we have spoken live with Ms. Denise Graves, internationally acclaimed mezzo-soprano, and I would like to take a moment to thank her and certainly Mr. Andre Graves for coordinating this interview. I also would like to remind the public about her upcoming recital February 1st, 2011 at 7.30 p.m. at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. You may look up those tickets to purchase them at kennedy Center. Thank you so much, Grace, and have a great day. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Again, listeners, we just finished speaking to Ms. Denise Grace, internationally acclaimed opera singer who just was a wealth of knowledge, and we certainly enjoyed having a person of her stature with us today. Again, I thank you all for listening, and stay tuned for our next broadcast. I, again, am Patrick D. McCoy, the African-American voice in classical music, and I wish you all a great day. <laughs>